the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's it's an honor. Today is Friday, February the 14th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Happy Valentine's Day. I'll come back to that in a moment, but to all the Valentines out there, happy Valentine's Day, particularly to my wife, my Valentine for many, many, many years. And um, happy Valentine's Day. To her and to the girls in our family. Today in 1349, 2,000 Jews did not have a happy day. They were burned at the stake in Strasbourg, Germany. 1349. Today on February 14, 2018, a gunman identified as a former student. You'll remember this, of course, two years ago. Three, two years ago. Open fire with a semi-automatic rifle at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School near Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Killed 17 people. Nation's largest, uh, deadliest school shooting since the attack in Newton, um, Connecticut, more than five years earlier. Today in 1859, Oregon was admitted to the Union, 33rd state. Today in 1876, inventors Alexander Graham Bell and Alicia Gray they both applied separately for patents related to the telephone. Went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court eventually ruled that Bell was the rightful inventor of the telephone. And Alicia was trying to copy his work. Today, 1912, Arizona became the 48th state of the Union. Today, in 1924, Thomas Watson founded IBM, International Business Machines Corporation. Today in 1929, the St. Valentine's Day massacre took place in a Chicago garage. Seven rivals of Al Capone's gang were gunned down. And today in 1949, uh, Israel's Knesset opened for the very first time. And one year ago today, William Barr was sworn in for his second time around, his second stint, as the nation's attorney general. He had been attorney general before under President Bush, and um, President Trump decided he was the guy for the moment. I agree with that, by the way, wholeheartedly. William Barr is the real deal. He uh, kind of uh, chided his boss, (laughs) the president, yesterday. The news has made so much out of that, the secular news. They love that kind of thing, but... He said somewhere, I can't remember where he was when he said it, but he said it, and it's been all over the news, I'm sure you've heard it, that Attorney General William Barr, you know, scolds the president, stronger language than that even, most of them were using. He, he made the statement, Barr made the statement that he said, it, it's when the president tweets about legal matters, which he did, uh, he said it makes it hard for me to do my job, or almost impossible for me to do my job. I think he was sending a little message to his boss. Barr is his own man, for sure. 
And I think he was sending a little message to his boss with, hey, this is not helping. <laughs> and um, I was interested to see how Trump would respond, or if he would, and I assumed he would. He responds to most everything. And he did respond last night. And somebody, a reporter, of course, asked him, you know, what do you think about Attorney General William Barr's statement? Trump said, oh, I think he's a great guy and he's doing a great job. <laughs> so, I don't know, apparently he got the message and... Things moved on as they should have. But anyway, William Barr has been in office a year today. And I haven't heard this morning that he's resigned over his, the president, his superior, I guess he would be, um, undermining some of his work with his tweets. We'll see how that plays out nonetheless. Valentine's Day. June. June may be more famous for nuptials and outdoor ceremonies and all that kind of thing. But February is hands down the most marriage, romance, um, love-centric month on the calendar. This month is National Wedding Month. It has National Marriage Week. That's February 7th through 14th through today. And, of course, Valentine's Day today. Valentine's Day is... As I'm sure you know, is named after a Christian saint who was probably martyred on February 14th, 269 A.D. The reason that he was killed is because he was marrying Christian couples in defiance of the Roman government. And he was assisting persecuted Christians. Today, the many traditions, in fact, most all of our traditions have gone more secular, particularly in the Western culture. But most of them had Christian origin. Valentine's Day has broadened into a secular festivity. It's boosted by, of course, major marketing and all things romantic, cards, flowers, chocolates, jewelry, you name it. It's part of the day. But its ties to marriage are still strong. It's epitomized by the, by the happy end, like Hallmark movies or something. People want that. People desire that. I know there's a segment of our society that's pushing back hard on marriage, certainly the LGBTQ community, for sure. They're trying to redefine it. They have successfully, civilly redefined marriage. But that doesn't change marriage because God created marriage. Without marriage, Dr. Robert Knight wrote an article yesterday. In fact, I included it in some things that I wrote about today on in our Faith and Freedom Daily. And I would encourage you today on this Valentine's Day to take a look at that. What I'm talking about in the article that I wrote today, I want to talk to you about on the radio today, is about the law the, the the loss of confidence in our in our elections and what's behind that. But I also included a link to Dr. Robert Knight's article about Valentine's Day and particularly about marriage. It's refreshing. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. I read it a couple of times. I liked it so well. Dr. Knight says, without marriage, nothing works. It's the key to stability and peace and wealth and progress. He said, we tamper with it at great peril. He said, the welfare state's shattering of marriage-based families in the inner cities and the chaos that followed is perhaps the most glaring evidence of marriage's importance. It is indeed. Marriage-based family life is the organizing principle behind all civilized cultures. It brings the sexes together in a unique, 
legal, social, economic, and spiritual union because it's indispensable. Societies have accorded it, he writes, various protections and privilege not granted to other types of unions. No other relationship transforms young men and women into more productive, less selfish, and more mature people as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers. No other relationship affords children the best economic, emotional, and psychological environment. At the core of marriage are the manifold and complementary differences between the sexes, between masculinity and femininity. Wow, what a concept! He says marriage-based kinship is essential to stability and continuity. He said a man is far more apt to sacrifice to help a son-in-law than some unrelated man who lives with his daughter. That's so true. He said kinship imparts family names, heritage, property. It secures the identity and commitment of fathers for the sake of their children, and it entails mutual obligations in the community, even without children. Knight says marriage is a societal good as the two sexes form a unique bond and provide social stability. He goes on and says more, and then he goes into the biblical case for marriage, all related to Valentine's Day. I encourage you to read it, faithandfreedom.us. There's a link there to that article that he wrote, and there are other links and resources on what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. I know polls are merely a snapshot in time, but they are important. They do have their place, and they change. We don't want to base our life on polls. We want to base our lives and our life decisions on the unchanging Word of God, the principles of God. But polls give us day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, ideas of how and what other people are thinking around us, at least at the moment the poll was taken. Well, Gallup uh, published a survey yesterday, and in that they found, and Gallup's been doing this a long time, they're not conservative, but they're not way out there far left either. But they found that nearly 6 in 10 Americans, nearly 60%, have lost faith in our elections. That puts us toward the bottom of a list of wealthy democratic countries. That may not be surprising to many of us. It wasn't really surprising to me. I mean, I looked at that and I thought, what? And then I thought, yeah, I can see that. I kind of have been wondering myself, is this going to, I mean, what's going to happen when we go through this 2020 election? It's a big deal globally, certainly locally in our country, in America, United States, but it's a big deal globally. As I said, it's a snapshot in time, but it tells you what people are feeling at the time, or at least what they say they're feeling. Gallup begins with this paragraph on the, the survey. He says, that, quote, or they say, quote, although their faith has been shaken for some time, Americans are heading into their, their next presidential election with relatively little confidence in the honesty of the process. Four in ten Americans, 40% interviewed in 2019, said they are confident in the honesty of the elections in this country, while a majority, 60%, said they are not. This was taken through the end of the year. Well, much has happened since then to further erode that, and Gallup addresses that, including the Iowa debacle with the Democratic Party, the primary the other day, or the caucuses. 
Gallup says Americans' current level, uh, current level of confidence in their elections is far from the lowest it has been at other times in the past decade, but it is noticeably one of the worst ratings across the world's wealthiest democracies. Ratings were statistically lower last year only in Chile, 31%, and Mexico, 30%. That doesn't feel very good if you're a patriotic American, but that's what they found. The survey found that Finland and Norway have the most confidence, 89%. Mexico, as I said, is the lowest with 30%. Just a quick summary, a couple of things that I took from this. I want to talk to you really about what's behind this. But they found in this, and again, all of this is in the article at faithandfreedom.us. They found that males are more trusting than females of the elections. This is not about anything else. It's just about elections. Males are more trusting than females. Males, 46% are trusting at this point in our elections. 54 not trusting. Females, 46 trusting. 65 not trusting. Older people are a little more trusting than younger, but not very much. Age 15 through 29, 42% trust, 58% don't trust. Age 39 to 49, 31% trust, 68% don't trust. 50 years old and plus, they trust at 45% the elections, and they do not trust 54%. Of elections. They also did a part of their survey, Gallup's, was urban and rural, uh, city and country folks. Urban, 39% trusts our elections, 61% do not trust. In, in the rural areas of the country, 43% trust our elections and 57% don't trust. And I was wondering if that, if, if it's because people know each other and know the people working at the elections and one thing or another. I mean, when we used to actually do do elections or handling the mail-in or whatever. I, I don't know what all is involved in that. But anyway, the rural people in America trust our elections a little more than the urban. And um, one story I read, that at great, it went to great lengths to say that the rural people are less sophisticated. In other words, we're dumb and the urbanites are smart. Well, I didn't like that very well. I've spent my life living in some of the biggest cities in the world, including Los Angeles in the ministry. But when you grow up in central Washington on an orchard, you don't like to hear that part because I don't believe it for a minute. But anyway, they're making all kinds of things out of it. But the most trusting group in regards to our election process is the age group 30 to 49, the most distrusting. 68% distrust our election. The bottom line is this, Gallup says. There's much more there, and as I said, you can find it at the article there with Faith and Freedom Daily. Whether related to issues of foreign interference, security, vulnerability, interference in the nomination process by political elites, or just general frustration, with an election outcome, the majority of Americans do not have confidence in their elections. They say the recent Iowa caucuses are an example of the types of events that can shake Americans' faith in elections process and the legitimacy of the winners of elections. Institutions, fair process are important in holding society together, and particularly so in this era of intense partisanship. 
in the U.S. Let me spend a couple of minutes talking to you about how we got to this point. And if we just take a look this morning, I, I can talk for an hour or more on this. I won't. I promise you the computer will see to that. It, it will cut me off and the next program will come on. But let's go back to the founding just for a moment. Just take a quick look over our shoulder. Our nation, as we most of us know, was based on our founding documents, were based on God's word, God's principles. Not intended to make a church out of America. Some wanted that. I probably would have been one of them had I been living at that time. But for the most part, our founders simply wanted to have a, a solid base for the institutions of our, of our country. And so they based the founding principles on biblical principles. A generation later, or sometime later, October 5th, 1840, Daniel Webster, not to be confused with Noah Webster, one of our founders, Daniel came along later on. He's said to be the most effective senator to ever serve in the U.S. Senate. In fact, there's a bronze statue of him because he was so respected, so highly respected and so effective. He told the public reception, it was sponsored by the ladies of Richmond, Virginia, on October 5th, 1840, he said this, quote, Impress upon children the truth that the exercise of the elective franchise is a social duty as solemn a nature as man can be called to perform, that a man may not innocently trifle with his vote. Every measure he supports has an important bearing on the interests of others as well as on his own. So he, he made the case that one, it, 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 it's... And he said in other places it's God-given. It's a God-given right or responsibility that we have in America because of America. And many don't have that opportunity. We do. And he's saying here that it's, we should vote with the thought of what is not only best for us and our agenda, but what is best for America. In other words, a patriotic thread in our, in our voting. In a different speech... He was talking to a different group of people, but he made this statement about how we came into being. Daniel Webster said, quote, Finally, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers were brought here by their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light and labored by its hope. They sought to incorporate its principles with the elements of their society and to diffuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, or literary. He's saying, I recap, that our founding fathers, previous generation to him, they came here because of their high respect, their need for religious freedom, their high veneration for Christianity. They journeyed by its light. They labored by its hope. They lived by the light and hope of God's word. He said, and they sought to incorporate the principles. They took the principles of God's work and infused them or defused them into society, particularly into our institutions. That's important because we have not taken Webster's counsel. There's little debate that modern-day American universities, public education, mainstream media, Hollywood, political activist, uh, advocacy groups, they're all dominated by leftists. And they've removed the founding principles. And that's a part of how we got to this point where we've lost our confidence. 
It's no accident. It's a deliberate strategy. It was developed more than 80 years ago. A guy by the name of Antonio Gramsci, probably more proficient in Marxism than Karl Marx himself, but he he swallowed, he, he ingested all of Marxism. He was a smart guy intellectually, but stupid spiritually and socially. But he took that and he made it into something that we have become, we have come to know as cultural Marxism. It, he's credited with the blueprint for what we're experiencing today in America. Gramsci taught that the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russian Revolution of 1917, it worked because the conditions were right. But he discovered that if he took Marxists, which he was committed to as much as we all are or should be to the gospel, that was who he was. He took all of that and he realized that it had to be evolved to in order to bring down Western society. So Gramsci, Gramsci taught, and I'm quoting from his some of his teachings here, the massive structures, both as state organizations and, and as complexes of associations in civil uh, society, constitute for the art uh, of war, as it were, the trenches, he says, and permanent fortifications on the front in the war position. So he first of all, put all of his agenda into a war metaphor. And his goal was the same as his hero, Karl Marx, to overthrow the institutions. But he knew that it would have to be done differently because to actually destroy the institutions of the West, he said often in his speeches and in his his writing, they were so powerful. They were so powerful because of what Daniel Webster was reviewing with his colleagues in the 1800s because they were based on God's eternal, unchanging truth. And the rest of the, <clears throat> excuse me, the rest of the world, the world had taken philosophies, whether it's Confucius or whomever, and they had woven that in to their founding documents. And that's building something on the sand. Our founding fathers said we're not going to do that. In, in some of their documents, they say we've reviewed all of the different documents at various countries all over the world, not only the Western world, but others. And we none of it fits for us. And they ended up with what we have, our Constitution. But Gramsci's goal was the same as Karl Marx. It was to overthrow the institutions, and they, they had a real hard time doing that. The West, particularly America's institutions, were diffused with the principles of religion, specifically Christianity. You may have heard the the term, the long march through the institutions. Often that's credited to Karl Marx. He may have said it, but it's not recorded that he did. But a, but a, but a German student activist who was a follower of Gramsci's, Rudy Dutschke, he's the guy that actually came up with that. He was studying all this. He was an activist, college activist, in the 1960s, he came up with a phrase. He, he was started telling his college kids, and it caught on and was quoted around the world by communists and socialists. He said, we've got to create the long march through the institutions. And that's how he described the old-style Marxism that could be converted to cultural Marxism. And he said, we can't do it in a day or two. It has to be a long march through their institutions if we are to bring them down and bring down capitalism. In 1998, a book was published. It's titled, it's still available, 
the Antonio Gramsci Reader, and it gave a clear strategy for using Gramsci's new socialist revolution, and it is the marching orders for the long march through the institutions. Gramsci's revised version of Marxism is alive and well today, and that's why we are losing confidence in our institutions. It isn't just the election. It's a lot of other things. We've lost confidence in our public education. <clears throat> Noah Webster was a wonderful per a person and a wonderful mind. Our, one of our founding fathers, he created basically what we know as public education today, but he had nothing in mind along the lines of where public education is going. He thought if it was to be an indoctrination experience, it would be on the principles that America was built upon, not upon some evolving, changing, fluid, whatever principles. The Washington Examiner, I mean, this is pervasive in our society today. For the most part, it's called, and I call it, cultural Marxism. Washington Examiner recently published an article was titled, Pete Buttigieg's father was a Marxist professor who lauded the Communist Manifesto, and he was. He just died here just not long ago, just a few days before Pete Buttigieg um, entered the presidential race, so it's been within the last year. But he was well-known. The story documents in the Washington Examiner that Pete's dad who spoke often and fondly of the Communist Manifesto, dedicated a significant portion of his academic career to furthering it, and particularly was an advocate, a disciple of Antonio Gramsci. Does Pete agree with his father? I don't know. I think Bernie does, Bernie Sanders, but this this kind of thinking and this, this deep resolve to bring down this country and any other country that's democratically based and particularly religiously based, Christian in particular, any country is the goal. And they have not blinked from the days of Karl Marx to the days of Gramsci and there are others. That has been the goal, to bring down the institutions of those countries that are democratic or free, like a republic, Elizabeth Warren, she probably believes it too, but she has a hard time. She's so conflicted, she doesn't know what she believes. But this is what's going on out there, and it's time for the church to wake up. Daniel Webster also told a crowd, and I'll leave you with this. He said, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our posterity neglect its instruction and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury us all. All our glory in profound obscurity. He's right again. I think that's where we are in this election. I think that's where we are in America today. It's more than just an election. It's more than confidence in the election. It's a matter of do we know who we are and do we know what we believe? And that's why it's so important that Christians are informed, that we know what's going on. We're able to respond out of truth, not out of the, all the noise that envelops all of us every day, 24-7. And that's why we do what we do here. And I want to thank you for allowing us to do what we do with your support. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.
Well, have a great weekend. Happy Valentine's Day today. Tell the person you love, you love them. Happy Valentine's to them, too. And I'll see you on Monday.